Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Quick history lesson. Unitarianism began in the 1560s in Transylvania, now northwestern Romania. Growing out of the Protestant Reformation, it was founded with an emphasis on free conscience and the value of intellectual reason. Two centuries later, in the late 1820s, in Concord and throughout New England, a movement grew out of Unitarianism called Transcendentalism. It was really our flowering as a spiritual movement. Writers and philosophers Henry David Thoreau, Margaret Fuller, and Ralph Waldo Emerson, among many others, felt that the calm rationalism of the Unitarianism of the time didn't fully speak to the mystical heart of life. There was something more, they said, the essential unity of every living thing and what they called the divine experience inherent in the everyday. Heaven, they said, is not distant, but here. Living out at Walden Pond between 1845 and 1847, Thoreau read the Bhagavad Gita, the great text of Hinduism. He wrote, in the morning, I bathe my intellect in the stupendous and cosmogonal philosophy of the Bhagavad Gita, so remote in its sublimity from our conceptions. I lay down the book and go to my well for water and lo, there I meet the servant of the Brahman, the creator of the world. Our buckets, as it were, great together in the same well. The pure Walden water is mingled with the sacred water of the Ganges. In Emerson's 1836 essay, Nature, Thoreau's wonderful companion wrote of his own ecstatic union with the divine, standing on the bare ground, my head bathed by the blithe spirit and uplifted into infinite space, all mean egotism vanishes. I become, get ready for it, I become a transparent eyeball. I am nothing, I see all. The currents of the universal being circulate through me. I am part or particle of God. The transcendentalists were ridiculed. In 1841, American author Edgar Allan Poe wrote a story called Never Bet the Devil Your Head in which he expressed a deep dislike for transcendentalism, calling its adherents frog pondians after the pond on the Boston Common. 
For the record, I am a frog pondian. And I know a lot of you are too. I remember the crazy juxtaposition of riding the subway far beneath the teeming city of Tokyo, reading American author Annie Dillard's deep dive into nature, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. I went from bemused to transfixed when I came to the passage in which she describes a girl whose vision has been restored, whose doctor leads her into a garden to feast her new eyesight, and who experiences what the girl calls the tree with the lights in it. Annie Dillard writes, it was for this tree I searched through the peach orchards of summer, in the forests of fall and down winter and spring for years. Then one day, I was walking along Tinker Creek and thinking of nothing at all, and I saw the tree with the lights in it. I saw the backyard cedar where the morning dove, doves roost charged and transfigured, each cell buzzing with flame. I stood on the grass with the lights in it, grass that was holy fire, utterly focused and utterly dreamed. It was less like seeing than like being for the first time seen, knocked breathless by a powerful glance. The flood of fire abated, she continues, but I'm still spending the power. Gradually, the lights went out in the cedar, the colors died, the cells unflamed and disappeared. I was still ringing. I had been my whole life a bell and never knew it until at that moment I was lifted and struck. I have since only very rarely seen the tree with the lights in it. The vision comes and goes, mostly goes, but I live for it. For the moment the mountains open and a new light roars in spate through the crack and the mountains slam. There's a powerful mystical arc between Annie Dillard's tree with the lights in it, and the tree in Alice Walker's anointed the color purple. Shug says to Seeley, I believe God is everything. Everything that is or ever was or ever will be. And when you can feel that and be happy to feel that, you found it. My first step from the old white man in the sky, she says, was trees. Then air, then birds, then other people. But one day when I was sitting quiet and feeling like a motherless child, which I was, it came to me. That part, that feeling of being part of everything, not separate at all, I knew that if I cut a tree, my arm would bleed. This is the transcendental perspective.
Everything is deeply interconnected. And there is magic and mystery just at the edge of every moment, perhaps infusing every moment. Lebanese-American author Khalil Gibran wrote, when you love, you should not say, God is in my heart, but rather, I am in the heart of God. But life in a body means that magic and mystery are more often than not side by side with desperation and worse. That there are more places than not in the so-called civilized world where it is literally impossible to imagine an experience of transcendence. The spiritual practice is to keep our minds and hearts and hands open and to stay curious, stay curious to make of curiosity a spiritual practice. Curiosity is from the Latin word meaning to care. To me, curiosity is absolutely correlated with paying attention and with intelligence. It is a necessary precursor to wonder. Now I want to pivot just a bit to say that there are some mysteries that are best left unharassed. By this I mean that it can be lovely just to rest in it all, or perhaps to grow into it. American author Nikki Rowe writes, when I look through the eyes of a child, everything seems possible. And every once in a while, I remember I still have the chance to be that wild. I'm thinking of Sumang Kid's The Secret Life of Bees, which is set in the 1960s, perhaps just before July of 69, when a man first stepped on the moon. On encountering a life-changing coincidence, Kid's narrator, a young teenager named Lily, says, I realized it for the first time in my life. There is nothing but mystery in the world. How it hides behind the fabric of our poor, browbeat days, shining brightly. And we don't even know it. Echoing this passage, Lily and her older friend, August, are watching the moon rise over the backyard, large and ghostly silver. Look at her good, Lily, August says, because you're seeing the end of something. I am? Yes, you are. Because as long as people have been on this earth, the moon has been a mystery to us. Think about it. She is strong enough to pull the oceans, and when she dies away, she always comes back again. August stared at the sky a long moment. Now it won't ever be the same, not after they've landed up there and walked around on her. She'll be just one more big science project. August is not disparaging science. Every curious person appreciates that scientists are among those with the healthiest appreciation for mystery. 
Having seen the edges of the known universe, scientists know what they don't know, and at best revere it with the phrase made immortal by my friend Mike's devoutly Catholic mother of blessed memory, who answered his most challenging childhood questions with three simple words. It's a mystery. August is simply longing for us to love it and to let it be. Let's hear these words again from American folk and country singer and songwriter Iris DeMent. Everybody's wondering what and where they all came from. Everybody's worrying about where they're going to go when the whole thing's done. But no one knows for certain. And so it's all the same to me. I think I'll just let the mystery be. Some say once you're gone, you're gone forever. And some say you're going to come back. Some say you rest in the arms of the Savior if in sinful ways you lack. Some say that they're coming back in a garden, bunch of carrots and little sweet peas. I think I'll just let the mystery be. Some say they're going to a place called glory. And I ain't saying it ain't a fact, but I'm heard I'm on the road of purgatory. And I don't like the sound of that. I believe in love, and I live my life accordingly. I choose to let the mystery be. I think I'll just let the mystery be. We are surrounded by mystery, swimming in mystery, living and breathing mystery every moment of every day of our lives. And we have a choice. Either it can terrify us, freeze us in our tracks like deer in the cosmic headlights, compel us to try to get a hold of it and take it apart and control it, or it can inspire us and comfort us in its constancy with all its quirkiness and unpredictability. In 1903, the great Austrian poet Rainer Maria Rilke wrote to a 19-year-old friend, I want to beg you as much as I can to be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. Do not now seek the answers which cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. Live the questions now. At best, we are all living into that distant day. Last Sunday morning, I quoted physicist Albert Einstein, there are only two ways to live your life. One is though nothing is a miracle. The other is as if everything is a miracle. To each of us falls the challenge of the most graceful ways to do that. Beloved spiritual companions, my dear Frogpondians, 
I invite you to join me in celebrating the fullness of our faith tradition, including transcendentalism. Celebrating the unity of all life, embracing both the intellect and ecstasy, scholarship and mysticism, curious about what we can know and what is not ours to know, at least not yet. And letting the mystery, the mystery be. Across the century, here are our marching orders from the great Persian poet Hafiz, invoking the divine as the friend. Go running through the streets, creating divine chaos. Make everyone and yourself ecstatically mad for the friend's beautiful open arms. Go running through this world, giving love, giving love, giving love. And now for our benediction, I invite you to put your hands over your heart in namaste. I bow to the divine in you. Again, from the great Persian poet Hafiz, invoking the divine as the friend, go running through the streets, creating divine chaos. Make everyone and yourself ecstatically mad for the friend's beautiful open arms. Go running through this world, giving love, giving love, giving love. Let us keep this faith, beloveds, and pass it on. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. I love you. Amen. ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace.